Admiral James Stockdale is one of the most decorated members in the history of the United States military. He had a distinguished career as a Navy pilot, and he's got incredible accolades that back up his resume in the military. But, but his career in the military faced a, a huge disruption during the Vietnam War. Stockdale was taken as a prisoner of war during the war and, and was held for eight years in a prison camp. Eight years of his life where he was tortured over 20 times, enduring intense psychological and physical and emotional pain. See, Stockdale's life, as great as it was in many ways, it was also unraveled by the pain caused from other people. How did he survive that unraveling, that major disruption in his life? Well, we can get a window into how he made it by, by his quote, talking about the people who didn't make it. Here's what Stockdale says about the people who didn't make it out of the prison camp. The optimists, they're the ones who said, we're gonna be out by Christmas, and Christmas would come and Christmas would go. Then they'd say, we're gonna be out by Easter, and Easter would come, and Easter would go. And then Thanksgiving, and then it would be Christmas again, and they died of a broken heart. See, according to Stockdale, what you need to do when the disruptions hit your life is to face them head on, not mask them or pretend that they're not there or try to hide from them or wish them away. You have to face them honestly. But, but Stockdale goes on. He, he goes on to say this. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose. So he's saying you can't lose hope. You have to have hope when you're facing the disruptions. But you can't confuse that with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever that might be. This is known as the Stockdale paradox, a paradox that holds together two truths that seem to be in tension with each other but are both true at the same time. And the Stockdale paradox is this, to endure the disruptions of life when life feels like it's unraveling, you have to embrace both honesty about your situation and hope, honesty and hope. How do you respond when the disruptions hit your life? When life feels like it's coming unraveled? Or maybe not just in your life, but how do you respond to people that you love when their life comes unraveled? See, Admiral Stockdale, he needed honesty and hope because the disruption that he faced is one of the most serious that any person could ever endure. It's the kind of disruption that comes from other people people who harm us. His torturers, they dehumanized him. That was his disruption. People can unravel our lives with their words. Maybe in your life story or somebody you love, there was a harsh or overbearing adult in your childhood that always told you that you weren't good enough, not worthy to be loved until you earned it on their terms. And maybe those words, even though they're not physically spoken to you now, they still very much remain with you. People can unravel us in our lives with their words, but, but we're here in church. We can, I think the church is a safe place to talk about anything. And so we need to talk about the ways that people can unravel our lives and disrupt our lives with their bodies. So, so maybe for you or for a loved one, that means that you've experienced bullying, where at some point in your life, somebody with their body told you that you're insignificant, that you're small, that you're helpless, or maybe a part of your life story or someone you love involves the tragic and terrible evil of domestic or sexual abuse, where the most vulnerable part of your life has been wounded by another person. See, when disruptions in life come from other people, 
There's a unique power, a terrible power to dehumanize us. There's nothing that can dehumanize a person quite like another human being, right? Who sins against you. Now, if that's part of your story, I wish that there was something that I could say this morning that would make it untrue, that would make it disappear. And I can't. I can't. But I do want you to know that you're loved. I want you to know that the church is a safe place for you, a safe place for you to know other people and be known by them. That's what the church should be, and we know that because when we look at the Bible, we see the Bible showing how we're sinners in need of grace, but also we are people who are sinned against and need healing. And today in God's word, we're gonna be encountered by Psalm 22. Psalm 22 reveals the path of healing for us if we're wounded by other people or those that we love have been wounded by other people. Psalm 22 helps us face, face and confront our realities with honesty and with hope, even the worst disruptions of life. We know that Psalm 22 is a psalm of David, but, but Psalm 22 is unique that it, it doesn't have any specific context of exactly what was happening in David's life. We're not exactly sure what caused the unraveling in his experience here. But we do know from reading Psalm 22 that, that his life was unraveled, not just by random circumstances, but because of other people who were sinning against him. The disruption came at the hands of other people. Let's see how David starts off this psalm. He begins by saying, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Now, if we gloss over the beginning of Psalm 22, we'll miss a foundational truth that we need to believe, we need to hear. David is not crying out to a distant God who's just observing the goings on of his life. He's not crying out to a deity who's just out there generically. David is crying out to his God, the infinite and personal God who is there to hear him. Now, at first, David's calling out to this God, and we might think that, that this question is a little bit strange. We think maybe this question shows a lack of faith in David's life. Why have you abandoned me? Is that a question that somebody with faith can ask? It's a painful question. And at first, it might seem like David is showing that he doesn't really believe that God's with him or for him. But if we really think about it, this question is not rooted in the absence of faith, but in the very presence of it. Because you don't call out to somebody who can't hear you. You don't call out to somebody who's not there. When David asks, why have you abandoned me? He's honestly confronting the major disruptions of his life. He feels like God's not there. He feels like God's abandoned him. Yet because he's asking the question, he shows you and I that his question is rooted in a deep confidence in the God who is there, the God who hears him. See, see, David describes with pain and honesty what's been going on, and he goes on to describe how people have, have confronted his life and unraveled his life. But before we look at that, I wanna ask us a question. David cries out, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Does your version of Christianity, your view of God include, a God, include a God that you can cry out to? Does your version of Christianity include a God you can cry out to? Or, or is God more of just a data point in the collage of all the things you believe about life? Is God just an idea that's out there that you think about? Or is this a God that you can cry out to? 
Psalm 22 is talking about the living God who is worth crying out to. And that frees you and I to face the unraveling tragic pain in our lives that come from other people with honesty. We read on the Psalm, David describes how people have sinned against him in really powerful ways. So he he says this when he talks about the people who are sinning against him. Many bulls surround me. He's talking about people. Many bulls surround me, strong ones of Bashan encircle me. Now the bulls of Bashan were notorious for being ferocious, wild animals that could really, really hurt people. And David's saying, I'm not just facing one of these bulls of Bashan head on. The people who are oppressing me, they're surrounding me. I'm overpowered. I'm overcome. I'm overwhelmed by the people who are sinning against me. He goes on to describe the people sinning against him this way. They open their mouths against me, lions mauling and roaring. Now, in the ancient world, when lions are described this way, the lion is a metaphor for a person who holds power and is using that power to oppress other people for personal gain. Maybe that's something that you've experienced in your life, where somebody who is meant to protect you threatens you or violates you. Somebody who is meant to teach you belittles you. Somebody who is meant to empower you in your life ends up overpowering you. See, David is really raw, really honest about what it's like to be sinned against by another person. He's not editing his language. He's not holding back for our comfort. Now, that's language that frees you and I to be empowered, even if we've been wounded in incredible ways. David's not trying to harm us with his words here. He's trying to free us to name the harm in his life. Notice how he describes his experience. He says, I'm poured out like water. I'm emptied. There's nothing left in me. All my bones are disjointed. It's like our modern metaphor of saying I'm falling apart. I was meant to be whole. I was meant to be put together, but I'm falling apart because of what people are doing in my life. My heart is like wax melting within me. In the Hebrew mind, the heart was the core, the center of your desire, of your passion to live. And David is saying, these people sinning against me are causing me to lose my passion to live, lose my passion for life. I'm dehumanized. Now, on the one hand, it's really hard to read this, especially if you or somebody you love has been sinned against significantly by somebody else. But David's words, again, they're not meant to harm us. They're meant to free us to name the harm in our life. So if you've been sinned against by somebody else, God honors your story. See, all of us have some kind of pain that's been caused by other people in our lives. It doesn't matter if you're a follower of Jesus or a skeptic of Jesus or anywhere in between. All of our lives have been unraveled by people in some way. And God gives us these words because he has a high view of who we are now and who we are meant to be. The good news of Psalm 22 is that we have a God that we can cry out to who hears us. Now, that's true in our relationship with God, and if that's the case, it's got to be true in our relationship with each other, right? We've got to be able to face the disruptions in life honestly with each other. But, but here's the thing. In church, we are sometimes at a disadvantage, especially in the modern American church, not because of anything inherently bad, but there are some social norms in the church today that make it really hard for you and I to face reality honestly. Think about it. Like When we show up on Sunday morning, we're usually dressed a little bit nicer than usual, we usually talk a little bit nicer than usual when we bump into people that we see from week to week, right? And those, that's not a bad thing. Those aren't bad things. But, but what I'm trying to say is this. It's easy in the modern American church to make superficiality normative. And when it becomes normal to just stay at the surface with each other and we carry that into the rest of our lives, 
we become numb to the pain in our own lives and we become numb to the pain in other people's lives. And then we are not a community of healing. We're just a community of actors that show up once a week to do our bit. It's easy to make superficiality normative. So my question this morning is not, will you be going out in the foyer after service and telling everybody about the hardest thing going on in your life? That wouldn't be healthy for them or for you. The question is not, will you tell everybody about the unraveling in your life? The question is, are you willing to tell somebody? Are there two or three people that can just be in your corner in life? Maybe it's people in your small group or people in the small group that you still need to join, right? Or or maybe, maybe you don't feel comfortable bringing up really painful things in small group. There's a really great ministry in our church called our one-to-one ministry. And if you wanna reach out to somebody on one-to-one ministry, you could do that on the website, but I wanna make it super easy this morning. You could just email careministry at thecrossingchurch.com. And Shelly and her team will put you in touch with somebody who's been trained and equipped and wants to walk alongside you when your life is unraveled. We wanna face reality honestly with you, with hope, in the process of healing, Psalm 22, it helps us face our pain honestly, but also with hope. Hope is woven into the fabric of this psalm. I wanna look here. Early on in the psalm, David looks back at God's faithfulness in the past. He says this, our ancestors trusted in you. They trusted and you rescued them. They cried to you and were set free. They trusted in you and were not disgraced. So David, he looks back at God's faithfulness in the past to see what God is up to now. He's looking back to the Exodus account when his ancestors were freed from hundreds of years of slavery in Egypt. He's looking at God's track record. There's the old saying that the best indication for future performance is past performance. And that's what David's doing. God, you you freed my people, our people, your people then. I know that you're not gonna abandon me. God's power then creates hope now. David could see that. He he stirs up hope in the psalm later. David says this, for he, God, has not despised or abhorred the torment of the oppressed. He did not hide his face from him, but listened when he cried to him for help. Now again, this is easy to gloss over, but this is an astounding statement that David makes. God does not hide his face from the oppressed. When God sees the ways that you've been sinned against, he's not ashamed. He's not ashamed of what's been said about you. He's not ashamed of what's been done to you. He turns his face towards you. That's that's a biblical metaphor for deep relational love and trust and relationship. God, not, not after you clean your life up, not when you get your act together, not when you figure things out, but in the unraveling, God turns his face towards you. Psalm 22 is showing us the heart of God that even when it feels like your life is an unraveled mess, God loves you. He turns his face towards you. See, the power and the presence and the love of God and the disruptions of our lives, it's, it's not just a theory for us to think about, a philosophy for us to speculate. This is a reality for us to encounter as God's people. We know that it's a reality for us to encounter because of the moment in history when, when the cry of Psalm 22 was quoted by Jesus himself. So Jesus, when he's dying on the cross to defeat sin and death in our lives, Jesus cries out with a loud voice in Aramaic, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani. That is my God, my God. Why have you abandoned me? Let's, let's sit in this for a second. Jesus, 
God in the flesh, so closely identifies with your pain, with your abuse, with your trauma, with the oppression in your life, that he invokes the cry of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Jesus suffered in the most ultimate way imaginable. He he was oppressed by his enemies and surrounded by them. He was oppressed by people in power. He was dehumanized in the most effective and painful way possible in his day. So he doesn't just know about your pain, he knows it. He knows it from experience. Now why does that matter, that Jesus knows? See, in the disruptions of my life and the unraveling of my life, I usually want answers, whether it's in my life or in the life of somebody I want, somebody I love. I want to know answers. God, why have you abandoned me? I ask that question wanting God to give me an answer. Well, on the cross, Jesus shows us God's response to that question. We ask that question, why have you abandoned me, wanting an answer, but God gives us something better. He gives us what we really need. God gives us himself. He gives us himself when we ask that question. Because Jesus cried out, why have you abandoned me? We can know that we are never alone, that we are never abandoned in the disruptions of life because God himself experienced it. Jesus doesn't just see your pain, he enters into it. He doesn't just acknowledge the pain in your life, he absorbs it. His presence, his power, his love make it possible to be healed because he's with us. He doesn't turn his face toward us. So while other people dehumanize us when they sin against us, Jesus rehumanizes us when he dies for us and rises again for us. He weaves us back into wholeness of what we are meant to be. He weaves us back into a relationship with himself. And when life seems like it's coming unraveled, he weaves us back into God's story. So we can be the kind of people that when we look at the cross, we can say that because Jesus went there for me, I know that he's here with me, that he's here for me. Now that doesn't create overnight change like in the snap of a finger, but it does free us into a process of healing and a community of healing where we are known for living with honesty and with hope. Now, the truth is that many of us, most of us probably, are going to await full and final healing from our pain in the new heaven and new earth when Jesus returns in our resurrection reality. It's true for David too. There's no, there's no indication from the Psalms or anywhere else in the Bible that David had full and final healing this side of Jesus' return and making all things new. But, but that does not make the process of healing, the community of healing, meaningless. On the contrary, let's look at how Psalm 22 ends. I think it might surprise us to see the power of healing amongst God's people. This is the very end of Psalm 22. The next generation will be told about the Lord. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people yet to be born. They will declare what he's done. So so David's saying that, that the process of healing, facing life with honesty and with hope, it doesn't just affect his life. It affects people who are gonna come after him, a people yet to be born. Now think about it. That people yet to be born is you and me. That's us. We inherit the honesty and the hope and the love of God that David clung to. And so that means that that our response to the painful unraveling in our lives, it, it doesn't just impact us, it impacts other people. It's a part of God carrying his story forward. So so if we live with honesty and with hope in the God who loves us, 
that changes our community of faith. We become not a, a community of actors, but a community of healing. It, it'll change your friendships. It'll change your office. It will change your school. It will transform your family. Now let's get really concrete this morning. They're, the next generation of our church, of the church, is in Crossing Kids this morning right now. And the way that we respond to the pain and suffering in our lives will, will shape their lives. And the generation after them, the generation yet to be born, they will declare what God has done because of his healing presence in our community, facing life with honesty and with hope. See, gospel healing is not just about life right now, but about the rest of your life story, about the rest of God's big story. Gospel healing is an opportunity to show the world who God really is. True story. There's a, a great jazz musician named Wynton Marsalis. Wynton Marsalis is known as being one of the greatest jazz musicians of our day. He plays the trumpet, and he's amazing. But there was a period earlier in his career, in the early 2000s or so, when some jazz critics were kind of wondering whether Marsalis was really as good as people said he was. Had he lost his edge? There's a real doubt whether he was the great Wynton Marsalis anymore or not. So one night, there's a New York jazz club where Marsalis is playing in a venue that's probably a little bit smaller and more low-key than his name deserves, right? But he's there, he's playing jazz, and, and he's reaching a part in the song on his trumpet that's the most dramatic moment in the song. And right as he's in the most dramatic moment in the song, a cell phone in the audience goes off and totally unravels the music he's playing, which would be kind of a rude, awkward thing in any situation, but I mean, this is Wynton Marsalis. You don't, you gotta silence your phone for this guy, right? So the audience actually is really distracted, really thrown off, and they go back to their drinks and conversation. They lose interest in Wynton Marsalis. The cell phone is still blaring, but Marsalis stays on the stage. He raises his eyebrows and then raises his trumpet. And then as people are being distracted away from his music, he starts playing the cell phone ringtone, note for note. And he nails it. He plays the ringtone back, and, and people are kind of wondering, what's this guy doing? They're drawn in a little bit more. Then he starts to turn the ringtone into its own piece of jazz music. He's riffing on it. He's improvising. Now, that's really impressive on its own, but not as impressive as what he does next. Slowly over time, as the minutes go by, Marsalis changes the key, he changes the tempo, and he weaves the distorted song back into the original song he was playing. The song unraveled by the ringtone is woven back together, and he finishes the song right where he left off, and the crowd goes nuts. They lose it. Why? Well, the disruption and the unraveling, it didn't minimize who Witten Marsalis is. It magnified who he really is. He showed them who he really was when he wove the song back together. Now listen, Jesus on his cross, he shows us who he really is. He faces the unraveling, he enters into it, and he weaves us back together through his cross, through his empty tomb, and through his reign right now. Jesus shows us that pain does not have the last word, that suffering does not have the last word. Psalm 22 frees us to face our lives with honesty and with hope. It frees us to ultimately face the cross of King Jesus, where he weaves the song of our lives back together. Jesus wanted us to remember his cross. He wanted us to remember that pain and suffering don't have the last word. So the night that he was betrayed, 
Jesus was sitting with his friends and he took a piece of bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Now, I want us to slow down a little bit this morning. I want you to hold the bread in your hand. Think about the ways that your life has been broken by being sinned against by other people. Maybe your life or the life of someone you love. Ways that you've been dehumanized, that life feels like it's been so distorted, so unraveled. And remember that the disruption doesn't get the last word. The bread that we break is a sharing in the body of Christ. Let's say it together. We are one body. We share one bread. Take and eat. And Jesus, sitting with his friends, took a cup of wine and poured it out. He said, this wine is a picture of my love, my picture of the blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And as we hold, we hold our juice this morning, let's slow down and think about the ways, the difference that it makes that Jesus doesn't turn his face toward you. He's not ashamed of what's happened to you, what's been said about you. He turns his face toward you because he loves you. That's the king that we follow. That frees us to be a community of healing. He doesn't turn his face towards you. He wants to heal you by the power of his blood. The cup that we share together unites us as brothers and sisters in Christ. We have died together. We will rise together. We will live together. Take and drink. When life comes unraveled, you and I are free to face it with honesty, free to face it with hope, free to be a community of healing because Jesus is with us and Jesus is for us and Jesus is weaving us back together in his love. Amen.